friends, and thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, hi, Lou. How are we doing this morning? Good. We have uh, an interesting program ahead of us today. Uh, the Gita, as you have seen in the past, often talks about some very deep scientific facts that we don't realize um, until later. And I'm going to talk about something like that today. So, for instance, you know, it talks about the four yugas. And it says there, these yugas are hundreds of thousands of years long. And initially, people, when they read it in the Gita or hear about it, they say, this doesn't make any sense, right? But then when you, and it's just in one verse in the Gita. And then when you say, what exactly is this? If you break it down scientifically, you realize that what they're talking about is the fact that the sun revolves around the galactic center and the earth revolves in an ellipse around the sun. So as a result, these things, as the earth is, as the sun is revolving around the galactic center, goes on for hundreds of thousands of years. And this fact is not known to probably, I would say, the majority of folk around in this world alive today, even scientists. Would you agree with me, Luke? I think so, yes. This is yeah. all interesting. We don't realize that the Earth is circling around the sun that is moving at an incredible rate. We're chasing it around the galaxy. Yeah, or that the sun moves at all. Yeah. How many people actually know that the sun revolves around something else? But yeah. the Gita mentions it, and in just one verse. So many things that it talks about, and this is where I'm headed towards, you don't realize until you break it down and science catches up, and then you say, oh, this is what the Gita must have meant. So, it's incredible to me, too, because things like astronomy, um, I, the ancients could watch planets and stars move and come to conclusions. You can't see the galactic center. You can't see the galaxy with the naked eye. So, I mean, this was an incredible amount of reasoning or knowledge or however they attained it. Right. And, you know, we know there sometimes we can do a field trip on that. Or how much did they know? They talk about the distance between the Earth and the moon, the distance between the Earth and the sun, the speed at which light travels. I mean, how did they know that 5,000 or more years ago? Um, so the other thing that they did very quickly, if, if you remember, we talked about the Big Bang Theory. And then the Gita talks about how the, uh, the, the Big Bang took place, how the expansion took place, and then how the contraction is going to take place until it goes back into this little dot. So all in one verse. And then it's up to you to figure out what the Gita is talking about. So today, what the Gita talks about in this chapter 13 verse, uh, first few verses, is basically a composition of human beings, both the body, mind, intellect. What are we made of? And what is the world made of? And that is such a very interesting subject because I don't understand it. And I can't explain it, but I'll try. And then I'm hoping that some of you who are scientists and more learned than in these areas than I am would maybe even write to me and explain it to me. But it's fascinating. So the first thing is in the Mahabharata, the war takes place in Kurukshetra. Kurukshetra. Now, Kuru is the name of the clan or the tribe or the family in, for in which Arjuna was born, Kuru. And Kurukshetra is 
the field on which this battle of Kuru took place. So Kshetra means a field, a field in which something takes place. So our body and everything it houses is known as the Kshetra, the field. Why? Because all our actions takes place by our body and through our body and the fruits of our actions are enjoyed by the body. So the body is known as the field, the Kshetra. And the second term that the Gita uses is Kshetragnya, which is the knower of the Kshetra, the knower of the field. And that knower of the field is Atman, Brahman, our own consciousness, life, or as we would say in religion, God. We each have a God within us, an Atman, a force of energy or life, like electricity inside a bulb, that gives this field, that gives this body life, okay? Sorry if I'm not explaining it properly or explaining it too much for those who, who already know about this. No, so far so good. Yep. Okay, thank you. So consciousness I just want to tell the listeners too, we've got some wind here where we're recording this and I've been muting my mic off and on because I've got some wind noise out here. So I'm here and I'll, I'll be popping in, but if you hear my mic muting and unmuting, just taking care of some wind. Yeah, I don't hear your mic. So if it's windy, you can keep the mic off. And yep. if I need to speak to you, I'll basically wave to you. There you go. So the Shetragnya is Brahman essentially coming out. And I think we spoke about this in a previous episode where the analogy I was giving is that if you're driving down these highways these days, you can go across fields where there are solar panels set out huge acres of fields where there are solar panels all pointing out to the sun. And if you look at those, you see, let's say there are a thousand solar panels, you feel that there's a thousand suns on each, on all of that in that whole field. But essentially there's only one sun up in the sky shining on all of these solar panels and making it appear that there's a thousand suns. Similarly, there's one Brahman and that one Brahman shines in everybody that there is whether there's a little spider running around on your on your walls or there's a little mouse somewhere in your basement or there's a billion human beings in some place there's one brahman that is showing up on all of these bodies appearing as if there's multiple different lives but it's just one brahman okay so electricity coming into multiple bulbs and shining, all those bulbs look like they have life on their own, but all of them are due to the electricity that's coming from some major power force. Okay. So the Kshetragnya, the knower of this, is the uh, consciousness. Now, this is hard for me to understand or even explain it. So I made some notes. And with your permission, I'm going to refer to those notes. I'm going to try and not rustle these papers as I'm looking at these notes. So that which is seen is the body or kshetra. Anything that the kshetra, the consciousness, I'm going to call it consciousness since we're speaking in English. Anything that the consciousness is aware of is not consciousness. So the body without the consciousness is just a dead, inert body. Somebody drops, the consciousness is no longer in it, the body is dead. The consciousness is aware that it is in the body when it's living. So it says, I exist. Consciousness says, I exist. Right? You've said that. 
I am, I know, I remember, I am asleep, I was asleep, I was dreaming. All of these eyes that you talk about is that consciousness, that kshetragna. Keep this in mind. It's, it's a stepwise fashion to getting there. So I am present. This is there from the time you were born to the time you die. I am. Unless you are either in a deep sleep, not in dream. In dream, you still say, I am this, I am that. But in deep sleep, you're not aware that you are. So in deep sleep, that consciousness is not available. Or if you're unconscious. I don't know exactly what we know when we're unconscious, but for the most part, they say that when you're unconscious, you don't know that I exist, I am, I remember, I whatever. So this is one thing that consciousness doesn't require proof. So if you said to me or I said to you, how do you know that you are? How do you know that you're present? How do you know that you know? How do you know you am, I am, I are? How do you know that? You say, I, I, it just is, I know. It's a point that is self-evident and that nobody will disagree with. That that point that I am, I exist, and therefore I know you exist, you are. These things are self-evident. So that consciousness sort of requires no definition, no establishment, no proof. So why? Because it is very, very self-evident. We are aware of it. Without consciousness, there is no life, no world. So when we understand the secret of this body or kshetra or this world, because that also is a kshetra, and the kshetragnya or the consciousness, that's when the Gita says you are a true knower. That's when you have real knowledge. So keep that in mind. And then let's talk about these matters because basically the Gita talks about the composition of this body, this kshetra, this world. So maya, which is nature, maya means not existent or also means nature. Maya has three gunas. Everything in life is broken down by the Vedas and the gunas into three, which is the rajas, sorry, the sattva, rajas, and then tamas. Sattva is pure, equanimous, clean as a person, but it also refers to food, it refers to an action, it refers to a deed, it refers to charity, and it refers to these um, gunas of maya, sattva, rajas, and tamas. What are those maya elements? The five main elements for with which this world is made. Here's now where we're coming into some really difficult matter. First was born space from maya. Space is not air. Space is, the, let's say, the distance between one planet to another is space. Between one object to another is space. It can be in a vacuum. There's still space. There doesn't have to be air. In fact, there's no air. Space has no air. Through space, this is important, friends. Keep in mind. Through space comes air. And air has in it wind. You blow. That's all air. Then comes fire and then comes water, and then earth. Space, air, fire, water, earth. Now, the attributes of these, <laughs> sorry, you're gonna have to write this down. If I had had the ability to make a chart 
and show it to you, I would. But the sattvic, the purest attribute of the mother element, the mother element of space, the sattvic aspect of this produces um, a sense organ. And that sense organ for space is the ear. And the rajasic, rajas means action, the rajasic attribute of space is speech. So I'm speaking right now. My speech, the attribute, the, my speech is coming from the rajasic aspect of space. Our ears are the sense organs that are made from space. And that is from a very subtle aspect of space. We'll come to the sense organs later. But imagine that the ear, the speech that you hear, and space are connected, as also the organ that makes this. So the, uh, we'll come to that. Air produces skin, and the grudgesic attribute of air produces hands. That's another organ of action. Action, one organ of action is the voice box. Second, another organ of action is the hand. That is produced by air and skin. The third is fire. The sattvic attribute of the mother element of fire produces eyes, which recognize color and form. And the rajasic attribute of fire, it produces legs or the organs of locomotion. Water produces tongue and genitals. The sattvic attribute of earth produces the nose and the rajasic attribute produces the anus. So the organs of action are the speech, the voice box, hands, legs, locomotion, genitals, and anus. Now, you may say this doesn't make any sense, as I said. This doesn't make any sense. Now, some of these at a more gross level. Space is the subtlest of this. Earth is the grossest of this. Now, you, water is another one that is second to the grossest. So let's take water. If food is completely dry and desiccated, and your tongue, you're thirsty, and you're dehydrated, and you take that piece of dried food, put it on your dried tongue, what are you going to taste? Zero. Nothing. Without water, there is no taste. So when I say that, you say, yeah, I guess water is to some extent connected to taste. So also the tongue. The tongue is primarily water. Saliva, saliva and water is what makes us have taste. Now, that's at the very superficial level. It's hard to even understand when you say sattvic aspect of water and tamasic aspect and rajasic aspect, hard to understand. But water itself as a composition, only 50% is actual water. And if you can break it down, as this, our scriptures have done, into hydrogen and oxygen and so on, H2O is water. But 50% of that is pure water. In that water is air, right? We know oxygen is there. So in that subtle aspect of water is hydrogen, oxygen, and part of it is all these other elements. So what the scriptures say is that in water itself, there's air, there's the space, there's fire, and there's earth in water. I told you before, I don't understand it fully. I can't explain it fully. If any of you know how to explain it to me, please. But 
remember there's the Gita is very succinct says this is not where we're headed I'm not this is not a scientific discourse I'm just happening to mention it because ultimately I want to get to teaching you what the Chetragnya is that's the main function of the Gita is to teach you about God about consciousness about Brahman not to teach us what the composition of a body is or the world but along the way in order for you to get to Kshetragna it says let me explain to you what Chetra is so but I find this fascinating I'm a scientist I'm a physician I say yeah I, I don't know what the body we say majority of the body is water right we've heard that many many times but here's an actual breakdown and as we go further into saying what makes up the mind what makes up the intellect what makes up our arrogance our ego what makes us emotions and vasanas all of that is broken down it's fascinating now there is a book called the Tattva Bodha T-A-T-T-V-A Tattva Bodha B-O-D-H-A and the author is Shankaracharya S-H-A-N-K-A-R-A-C-H-A-R-Y-A Shankaracharya Shankaracharya had gurus we've talked about uh, uh, Swami Shankaracharya before but he wrote this thing called Tattva Bodha I try I read it I tried to understand it he breaks it down and he says in each element you break it down into twos and then you take those twos and you break it down into multiples and then all the elements come together to make the subtle form it is so complicated but deep and this is not just what is it the British called it um, the infantile talkings of a civilization in its earliest uh, days or something like that what it isn't it's really when you understand it if you even come close to understand it's fascinating anyway so that's the combination of the five elements now each one of these that I mentioned before the ear skin eye is basically one element each one of them as I said before now when you get to the inner sense of cognition right inner sense of cognition is your mind your intellect ego and something known as chitta c-h-i-t-t now the chitta is the memory store the Gita says Vedas say that when I have an experience that experience is carved into my chitta my memory store and those memories are then recorded as vrittis which are either positive or negative right I touch fire I get burned I pull my hand away so ow it's stored in there in my chitta in my memory store as a vritti and it's carved in next time I see fire I will not go it because my memory will remember it and it will file it away in the chitta <laughs> here's an important part that the older the file is the more you rely on it for your future experiences so now I see fire again my mind says go near it because it's warm it's cold outside go near it my intellect says ah I remember something bad happened last time when I went to that fire and the intellect then turns to the chitta and says what happened last time and the chit and all of this happens in a fraction of a second instantaneously and the chit says ah that's where you got burned last time and then the intellect takes over and says ah don't go there L organs of locomotion hands keep to yourself don't move away move closer move far away from there you got burned last time so the intellect refers to the chitta for any memories 
of that experience from the past. This is why an experience that you've had multiple times prior to this, you react instantly because you say, I know this well, right? That's one benefit to it. The disadvantage is that you say, I've done this so many times, I don't need to learn anymore. So anything new that you're learning is filed also, but you tend to rely on the older files. So anything that you've learned, this is the way to do it. You learn something new as you're learning now, maybe. You don't remember this as well as you will remember something else. So whatever you're being taught, unless you go back and refresh it with talks to your colleagues, friends, others, unless you have this sangat, unless you have this group that you're constantly refreshing the newer file to make it more, more new, you will rely on the older files and you will fall back into that trap of doing the same thing over and over again, which is why anytime something new comes, you say, ah, where's this? What should I do? Because you're now filling it in the chitta, in the memory store. And then once you do that, the second time it becomes easier. And I've had this experience, I'm sure all of you have had, when you're going somewhere and it's like a new place you're going to, it seems to you that it takes a lot longer to get there. Coming back, it seems a lot shorter, always, because you've been there that route. So the inner sense of cognition, such as the mind, the intellect, the ego, and the chitta, I am describing very um, succinctly. It is usually, not usually, always, a combination of all the five elements. So your mind, your intellect, your ego, and your chitta is made up of space, air, water, fire, water, and earth all together in various percentages and mixtures. And as a result, they're more complicated than that. The reason this is important is that with the water, for instance, water and tongue and taste are all connected, so it reacts very well to that. Now, the eyes cannot taste because it's not part of water. The eyes are part of fire. So similarly, the ear can hear the sound, but the eyes cannot hear the sound. The tongue cannot hear the sound. Only the ear which is connected to air, which is connected to sound, hears it. And the ear is made up of the sound element. So the great elements, here's therefore verse six. The Gita says, quote, the great elements, ego, intellect, and also the unmanifest, the 10 senses and the one mind, and the five objects of the senses. So here, Krishna gives you 31 constituents of Kshetra, of the Kshetra field in verses six and seven. Here, I've, he just gave us 24. And the next one, he'll give us the rest to make uh, 31, 24 and then seven. Subtle and gross forms. So the five great elements, which are in Sanskrit known as Mahabhutani, are space, air, fire, water, and earth. And these are the five fundamental elements that are the basis for everything that is not consciousness, whether it be anywhere in the universe, Mars. We're looking now right now with Mars to say, what does it con consist of? And it's basically, again, has to be, even though we don't know it, it has to be a combination of space, air, fire, water, and earth. You may say, well, there's no water on Mars. Maybe not. Maybe it's a part of water that has not actually shown up as water. Maybe it's H and not 
O, maybe it's O and not H. I don't know those subtle aspects of these elements, but they're there in everything. Then come the five sense objects. So for the first five were the great elements, and then the five sense objects, which are objects, okay, not organs. These are what you perceive. So what I'm speaking right now is the sound. That's a sense object. Sight is a sense object. Sound is a sense object. Smell is a sense object. Taste and touch. Then come the 10 senses, which are the five organs of perception and the five organs of action. Five organs of perception are eyes, ears, nose, tongue, skin, and the five organs of action, hands, feet, speech, generative organ, and the organ of excretion. Then one, one mind, which creates impulses, feelings, emotions, and that mind, because it is the same elements that produce the sense organs, is very quick to react to the sense organs. So the mind and sense organs and the organs of action, as we said before, are all one. So it is fluid, the connection between the sense organs, sense objects, and the mind. It reacts very, very quickly to it. Mind has impulses, it has feelings, it has emotions, and it is very quick to um, react to the senses, hand in glove. The next one is buddhi or intellect. The buddhi is supposed to, doesn't always do it, think, reason, judge, and then decide. That's what the buddhi is supposed to do, intellect. When a person is drunk or not thinking straight, asleep, the intellect is asleep. The, when a person is drunk, for instance, he does things that he would never do when his intellect would be awake. Why? Because the mind has taken over. Mind takes over and works with the senses. He, uh, in a party, because he's drunk, acts inappropriately, does things that he would not do because his mind says, hey, my sense organ says, just grab this, put it in your mouth, just touch this, whatever. And the intellect would normally say, no, no, you get beaten up if you do that. Mind says, I don't care because the intellect is not there. Then the next one is ego. Ego is the one which arrogates feelings and thoughts about oneself. Ego says, me, I, all of this. Now, you're aware of your arrogance. You are aware of your conscious, of this uh, conscience. Therefore, that ego, that buddhi, that mind is all kshetra and not chetragnya. You may say, well, if, if ego is the one that's thinking, I am the one that did this, I am the one that did that, should it not be consciousness? No, because there is a part of you that is aware that you are the ego because you are saying, I am great, I am the best. Then come the last one, which is the 24th in verse six. There's seven more in the next one. Vasanas, which are known as the causal body, the ignorance of self and the seed of individuality is known as unmanifest, avyakta, unmanifest vasanas, the desires. Now, these have been carved into your brain as vrittis. They're unseen impressions of the past. Unseen impressions of the past that you have carved in as vrittis into your brain, memories, past knowledge, the filing system that we talked about, 
we refer more on our old for files and we need to keep them refreshed. So I have a good experience with something, right? One of my sense organs experiences something. You can all think about what sense organs you want to think about, but let's just take taste, for example. You look at the taste and you say, wow, I ate that. This is what it reminds me of. It looks like uh, um, something with a cherry, a red cherry on top, and it's creamy on the bottom. I remember that. It's carved into my vritti as something that was delicious. My tongue remembered it, the taste, and it went up to my mind and it was stored. And now I have a desire for that. Now, believe it or not, these vrittis, this chitta, goes from one life to the next. It is the mind and the intellect that travels from one life to the next, not the body. The Atman is ever-present. So it's not as if the Atman floats from one body to the next. The Atman is ever-present. We are actually inside this Atman. This Atman is all around us. So the Atman is not a wisp of smoke that leaves the body and goes into another body. We are actually in the Atman and the Atman is within us. It is the mind and intellect that travels and takes on a new body. And when it takes on the new body, it has these rittis from the past, these filing systems it's brought along with it. And those filing systems remember from the past. Now, when you see a child, my grandchildren, whose photographs you probably see behind me, they are different when they're younger. And as they grow older, from the time they become about teenagers, you actually start to see their vrittis from previous lives start to show themselves. I have twin uh, nieces, and you see as they grow older that their personalities are not as alike as they were when they were young. So you start to see changes in people as they get to be older because their true nature, their true vrittis, their true past desires start to show themselves. So um, I might be beating this uh, too much or, or going on too much. So I forgive me for that. So we talked about these Ankar, Buddhi, etc. Now let's go on to the uh, chapter, verse 7, which is the Kshetra is modified into what are known as modifications or in Sanskrit called Vikara. Vikara is desire, Icha, hatred, pleasure, pain, assemblage, intelligence, and Driti or firmness. So now you should recognize that desire is what, what you experience. So desire comes from chitta. Your desire says, I remember I had this experience once before. It was good. Or I imagine it will be good. Therefore, I have a desire for it. So it's the mind that is generating it along with the sense organs. So that also is a part of chitta. It is not part of consciousness. It is not part of the kshetra gnya. You are aware that you have that desire. Similarly, when that desire is interrupted, you have hatred. You don't like something. You say, I don't like it because it tasted bitter. It didn't taste good. It didn't feel good. I don't like it. So you have dislike for that. Pleasure, when a desire is fulfilled, you have pleasure. It gets stored in your memory, in your chitta, and you say, I want that it felt so good. That feeling of good is pleasure. Pain, when the desire is unfulfilled or you have a negative experience from your desire being fulfilled, you develop pain. And therefore you want that chitta says, stay away from that. 
assemblage is the body. Um, assemblage is the body. Sorry about that. I'm just looking at my notes to make sure I've not forgotten anything. There's and, a lot of information to go through. <laughs> yeah. It, believe me, there's thousand times more than this, and I'm trying to sort of distill it down to what I'm talking about in a short period of time without boring people. And then um, assemblage is the whole body that we talked about before. Subtle uh, sense organs, the inside unmanifest parts, etc., and the physical body. When we say body, we tend to think of just what we see in the mirror, but there's a lot more inside that, that the Gita is talking about. Intelligence, the storage of intelligence in the mind mathematics, science, physics, etc. That is also intelligence and knowledge is intelligence. Firmness or dhriti is the intellectual discipline in maintaining a consistency of purpose. That also, that dhriti is known as by the consciousness. So therefore, knowing that you have that dhriti, that firmness or determination is therefore makes that part of the kshetra and not kshetragnya. So the Another one is Sangata. The body and senses together is Sangata. We keep dealing with the world through our Sangata. Our body and our senses deal with that. Same thing. And Chetna, Chetna is that expression of the consciousness through the intellect and body and mind because of which it appears to be alive. So the Chetna makes a dead person, a dead body alive. A dead body has no chetna. When the body is alive and it's talking and moving, making expression, that expression of that consciousness, that kshetragnya, through the body, through the intellect, through the mind, all of this is the expression of chetna within myself. So take it as electricity expressing itself through the light bulb. And the light bulb has a blue filament, blue gas in it, so the light looks blue. Another light bulb looks red, another light bulb looks white. And so the kshetragnya is the same in Lu's body, my body, your body. It is just that our bodies are different and our minds and intellect that we brought into this life, into this body from previous lives are different. Therefore, we appear different. We function differently, red light, blue light, white light, etc. So I appear different. I may be speaking different, might be aware of certain different things, but the power behind it, the Brahman, is always the same. So we are conscious of our life. We are conscious of uh, what we're doing, what we're saying. And I say, I know I'm alive. Therefore, since I know I'm alive, that Chetna is Kshetra. You may say, oh, Chetna, that life, yeah, it's, it's consciousness. Therefore, that is part of Kshetragnya. No. You know you are alive. Therefore, that knowledge, just like with intelligence, is part of Kshetra, not Kshetragnya. So, Dhriti is the forbearance, our ability to persevere, bear with difficulties. We are conscious of Dhriti. So, that's also part of Kshetra. All emotions, all feelings, all thoughts are Kshetra. Getting to the end, Lu, almost there. I'm going to have a question for you at the end here because this yeah, is... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, maybe we can take it on now. I'm a little bit gray on the differences between intellect and consciousness. And, and you talked about it a little bit today with the intellect and the mind being part of the thing that travels 
and is um, the vessel that Brahman Atman works within is the consciousness. Which which does the consciousness belong to? The consciousness is Brahman. Yeah. Okay. Consciousness is that which gives us life. The intellect is what is given life. Without Brahman in intellect, intellect has no function. One is dead. That intellect is basically right. waiting to get life in it, that chetna in it. So, so consciousness and the mind, I'm sorry, intellect and the mind is part of the field and yes. consciousness is part of Brahman. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I get it now. Okay. Good. Friends, if I've confused you, my apologies. No, this was very good, actually. I'm glad. I'm glad. But if you can, if you're interested in it, look up uh, Shankaracharya's Tattva Bodha and look through that. And you can, I don't know if you can find it on Google or whatever, but the Tattva Bodha is very important to understand this. Believe me, it's going to be very, very complicated. But having this basis, you might understand it better and maybe you can explain it to me. So thank you, friends, and we will see you next time.